0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me if you would to the 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Appreciate the good testimonies, good song tonight. Almost feels like a shame to have to end it with me preaching after all the good service we had so far and I'm going to wreck it at the end, but we'll do our best not to do too badly. But uh, appreciate appreciate the good spirit tonight, good spirit of praise Adoration. We started. Um, We've started this series in First and Second Thessalonians, and and uh, last week we um, we talked about how that we all are ministers of the gospel, and, and uh, shared some of the responsibilities that way. And uh, Paul continues on that line tonight, and so. Um, as uh, we read the text, I'd like us to be thinking together about what God would say to us as we um, are serving. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Father, thank you for the sweet spirit we've sensed tonight. Thank you for the good songs. Thankful, Lord, that you've enabled us to be here tonight. And we thank you for those that are able to be here whether it's in person or on live stream, we, we just thank you, Lord, that, that you've allowed us one more time to hear from your word. So we ask that you'd touch these lips of clay one more time, that we might rightly divide the word of truth, and that you'd be glorified and honored in it. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. A young preacher had, was preaching at one of his first sermons and, and uh, kind of was nervous, uh, as you can imagine. And uh, he was preaching in a church that did not have a sound system. And uh, being nervous as he was, he, he kind of got soft-spoken, wasn't speaking very loud. And someone in the back uh, hollered, speak up, we can't hear you. And so the, the young guy, he, just, he, he tr- did his best to try to speak up a little bit. He, he had prepared a good, long sermon, and so he wanted to be sure to, to deliver what was on his heart, and, and so he, he, he was trying, but it wasn't too long until that person in the back shouted up, speak up, we can't hear you. And someone in the front turned around and said, what are you complaining for? Be quiet and be thankful. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not sure if that was intended or not. (laughs) It's a difficult thing, I think, to stand in front of a congregation and minister. And for some reason, none of you volunteered to give me the night off, so (laughs) you all must think it must be difficult, too. But as I... See, as Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, I'm, remember, I'm reminded that it's not only difficult, but more than that, it's an honor and it's a precious charge. Amen. It's a precious charge. Amen. And it comes with great responsibility. And I think that oftentimes we focus in, and can focus on, on the negatives of it and not as much on the positives. And I think also this, this evening that it's also easy for us to have expectations of those in leadership that we don't have for ourselves. I think that's, that, that's a really dangerous thing. When we expect someone else to live a certain place and we don't live up to that ourselves. We have, we have to understand that if we think it's wrong for someone else to do it, for the pastor to do it, or the pastor's wife to do it, then it's, a very, it's very likely that God has spoken to you and said that it's wrong for you to do it. And Paul is recalling here his visit to the church. And, and I suppose that some of us might say, why is Paul doing this? Why is he giving them a history of his visit to them? That would seem kind of weird, wouldn't it? Could you imagine if Pastor Chad came back and he, and he, was, he had the service tonight and he was saying, let me tell you about the times that I was here with you. So you would be like, what's the point? (laughs) I mean, maybe it's, sometimes it can be fun to reminisce, but it seems kind of strange that Paul would be reminiscing to the church there at Thessalonica. I don't think he's reminiscing. I don't think he's just talking about the past because Paul likes the past. What's happening here is that, and we don't understand the culture, in those days It was very common for there to be traveling teachers. Rabbis in in the Jewish custom, uh, the Greeks had their philosophers that traveled, Plato and Aristotle and those that would do the traveling. And there'd be traveling teachers. And there would be people who followed along behind them because they were interested in the teachings and they would want to go wherever they were uh, to be able to hear what was being taught. Jesus was not unique in this traveling ministry. But these traveling teachers needed to survive. They weren't planting and harvesting. They weren't, they weren't uh, engaged in a trade. Their job was just teaching. Now, I say just teaching and I'm married to a teacher. I don't mean that as a, as a down thing. I, what I'm trying to say is they weren't teaching in a classroom where they were getting a salary. They're itinerant teachers going around and they, their survival, their livelihood, depended on those that came to hear them putting money in the basket. Just kind of like uh, New York City, you, if you've never been there, there's people that'll play their instruments and they'll have their little hat there, and you're suppo- uh, hopefully, if you're nice enough, you'll put a couple dollars in the hat as you walk by they would teach and that was basically how they they, they got their livelihood it was simply people putting money in the hat and paul has is this traveling preacher and he's got his companions he's got people who are traveling with him but what's interesting about paul there's two things that are unusual about paul first of all he doesn't put out a hat he doesn't ask for an offering. And the other thing is, is, there's people that are following him everywhere he goes and trying to convince people that this guy is a charlatan and a fake. Could you imagine you'd, you'd called me to, to be your pastor and before I got here, someone called you up from my old church and said, You know, this guy's a real fake. He's a big fraud. You know what would have happened? If I hadn't started packing yet, some of you would have had a discussion about whether you wanted to have me or not. He, tend, I mean, this person called from his old church. I, I, I mate, uh, we better take this seriously. And that could have wrecked my ministry here. Even if it, you felt like it was too late for me to to stop and tell me not to come, some would say, "Well, it's we'll get you know." With, in just a year, we'll vote, and, and we'll get rid of him if, he's, if this is true. It, it would have been really rough sledding for all of us to start, wouldn't it? And that's what was happening with Paul everywhere he was going. As people were traveling from places where Paul had been preaching, stirred up because they were Judaizers, stirred up by the, by the devil, to follow him everywhere he went and try to spread nasty rumors about him to try to undermine his ministry. That would be a terrible thing. I think it would just be terrible. And I and I would just say it's a warning to us that we better be careful what we say when we give especially when we are giving our opinions and not just facts, but when we're giving our opinions about other people especially people who are in leadership, and I'm not just talking about pastors, but people on our board, people that have influence, we better be very careful about what we say to others because we could be undermining God's work. That's true. Amen. And those Judaizers thought they were defending God when they were really undermining the work of God. So we better be sure, we better be very sure that when we state an opinion, that we are very careful to not undermine the work of the Lord. And even when we're stating facts, not every fact has to be known. Not every fact has to be stated. There are some facts, there are some things that are, that are good and right and true, and necess- but they don't have to be spoken aloud and certain people don't need to know them. Some of you have things in your past that you don't want other people to know about. It's true you did it, but it's covered by the blood and you, there's no sense in everybody knowing what you did. It's a fact. Paul is... Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. I believe one of the biggest reasons he's writing is that these Judaizers are starting to chip away at his little church there that had been doing so well. And he's got to leave, tell them about his ministry there. And for us, I believe that it gives us a biblical example of what it means to serve. And last week I said, and I want to reiterate that, we are all called to the ministry not all of us are called to preach, but all of us are called to serve God. All of us are called to serve each other and to serve this present day. And the first thing that I would notice is that Paul stated that he served with the right motives. He served with the right motives. Now there's a lot of wrong motives that you can have for going into the ministry or teaching a Sunday school class or singing a special or being a part of the Live Nativity, or whatever ministry that you find yourself in. There's a lot of wrong motives. One could be for personal gain, to make a lot of money. Now, you're probably not going to make a lot of money in the holiness movement as as a pastor. I'll just let you know. Um, There are more lucrative jobs out there. That's not me complaining this evening. I just want you to, just if you're thinking about going into the ministry because you think it's an easy way to make a buck, just would recommend you look somewhere else. There's more money to be made in other denominations and certainly in other fields. But I think that in those days, there became this real focus of, because of these itinerant teachers they would take up the offering plate and paul has a right to that money paul says that in other places he has a right to take up that money he says that to the corinthian church he says to timothy that a, a workman's worthy of his hire so i'm not of the of the group that uh, there's people who go around saying that preachers shouldn't take a salary i don't believe that i don't believe that's biblical But Paul, as an example, because he knew these Judaizers were coming in behind him, didn't take a salary from the local congregation so that there would be no question marks about his motivation for preaching the gospel. And I'm afraid there are those that have joined the ministry who are in it for the wrong reason. I think I, uh, if I remember the statistic correctly, I believe it, they said something like 50% of pastors would leave the ministry if they could find other work to support their family. They're in it for the wrong reason. They may have gotten into it for the right reason, but they have gotten, they've gotten to the place in their, in their spiritual walk where they've, they're staying in it for the wrong motivation. We know, I can't do it for personal gain. And, and it just doesn't money. It can be for attention. You know, I, there's some people, not here, thank the Lord for that. But there's some people, when they go to sing a special, you don't know who they're, what they're singing for. It sounds like if you could close your eyes and, and not see all the dancing around and everything that they're doing, that, that maybe that, that they're singing for the Lord. But I mean, some people, you can, it just doesn't seem like they're singing for the Lord at all. Now, we can't judge motives. And we have to be careful. I don't. I don't think it's our place necessarily to judge motives unless things become obvious. But I think we ought to check our own motivation. I think we ought to check our own motivation. You know, if I could get into, if I can get into power, you know, some are in it for personal power. If I could just get elected to the board, I could fix things. Come try it. (laughs) We've been trying to figure it out. (laughs) Come help us out. If you know all the answers, we'll take all the answers we can get. You don't even have to get on the board. Just tell me all the good answers. We'll make sure you get the credit. People, I don't understand why it is that there's people that that are after personal power and personal glory and i it just doesn't make sense to me there's one of those faith healers i don't i don't remember which one it is but he went around and he carried a microphone in his ear and his wife would be in the lines as they were coming in and would talk to the people and she would figure out the ones that wouldn't be obvious like the people in wheelchairs they didn't ever get called up to be healed but it'd be people who you know maybe had cancer or, or cirrhosis of the liver or something that where it wouldn't be obvious of a of a healing didn't take place and she'd work the crowd and while he was was working the crowd She'd be on the microphone, speaking in his ear, telling him, all right, this one here, this one's one's got arthritis real bad. And he'd say, sister, I feel like you've got arthritis. Is that true? And she'd be shocked. It's a miracle. How does he know? Must be the Lord. They collect so much money through those things that they go through, and all the checks that I believe were under $20, they just throw them in the trash can. It wasn't worth their time signing them and filling out a deposit slip for them. They were to breaking in so much of money. They were literally taking those checks and throwing them in the dumpster before they left. Because they could, it was not worth it for checks that were under 20 dollars. And people are people saying When he found out, there were people who still believed he was healing people, even though he'd been found out to be a fraud. In fact, he ended up suing the guy who exposed him. Isn't that crazy? And you know, we wouldn't do anything at that grand scale, but you know, I think it's easy for us to overlook our our own motivation sometimes. Every once in a while, do an, invita- uh, an inventory of my heart and say, Lord, show me any motives that I need to be aware of. Show me any of any wrong motives. It's been my practice that before we'd go to a church, we've never asked about a salary. We've never asked what it is. I'm not saying every preacher has to do that. That's just been our practice. Because I... would I don't want a situation where I go to a church because of how much they pay or wouldn't go to a church because of how much they pay. I wanted to make sure I have right motives if I'm going to go. That I, What is the right motive? Called of God. That we are called of God. Why do we sing a special? Because we're called of God to do it. Why, do we, why are we doing this live nativity? Why are, why are you playing the innkeeper or whatever part that you have to play? You're doing it because you're called of God. Not for the hot chocolate afterwards, although I'm thankful for it. Oh, that God would help us to understand our own motives. Paul had to Paul reminded the church at Thessalonica that he served them with the right motives. He also reminded them that he served them with integrity. He was blameless before them. We have a we're living in a time where integrity is going right out the window. Integrity doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> Used to be that a handshake was all you needed to have a contract. But now you've gotta have lawyers and and you've gotta know every loophole. I mean it sometimes it's just ridiculous some of the some of the the ways that people get around just being people of integrity. I really like the definition of, of integrity that that says integrity is what you are when nobody's looking. When nobody's looking, when nobody knows that what you're, how you're going to behave, when nobody knows how, how you're going to act, when nobody knows that, that what you're saying is just a little bit iffy. We live in a time when our Bible schools are really struggling because many of their young men are struggling with pornography because it's so available to them. And schools are having to put many things in place to help them to stop with their addictions and help prevent it. Am I saying that that those young men should leave the leave the Bible school until they get that figured out. No, I think they should be in a place where they can get some help. But what I'm trying to help us to understand is that if we're going to be ministers of the gospel, whether it's simply a singing a song, we're going to have to live it at home. We're going to have to live it at the workplace. We're going to have to live it when nobody else is looking. In fact, I understand that that one of the Students ahead of me ended up writing a dissertation on the effects of pornography on youth ministers and how it affects their ministry. It's so prevalent among the youth ministers that he felt like it was necessary to show them what damage it was doing to their ministries, even when nobody knows, knew what was going on. Paul said he lived blameless before them. You know, we live, in, we live in a culture where the much of the church world says that you're all going to sin and word, thought, and deed all the time anyways. So what's this one little sin? To add to all the others. When West, even Wesleyan preachers are confessing they can't live holiness, they can't live above sin. Folks, we've got a real serious problem in the in our pulpits. And I'm not here to shame shame those, and if there's a minister that's listening and they're struggling with pornography or they're struggling with other things, I would just say, get some help. Confess out. Don't cover it up. And if you're struggling with whatever it is, And you're finding that it's hurting your ministry, what God would have you to do. And you say, I don't really have a ministry. Well, if you have sin in your life, maybe that's why. I believe every one of us ought to have some kind of ministry that we are serving God with. Paul said he lived blameless. But I think it's not just sin. I think it's also not playing close to the edge with question marks. It's those... There's some people, it seems, they like to live in the gray and just get as close as they can to sin without actually crossing the line. I appreciated Billy Graham's take on his elevator rides. He said he never got into an elevator with just a woman. Now, I'm not saying that I have followed that every single time, but he felt like because of his ministry and because he was so well known and because of the influence that he had, he felt like even being alone with a woman in an elevator for even the short time that it was, he felt like it was a danger to his ministry and he would not put himself in danger of losing his influence. Now, I'm not saying I've lived that, okay? I'm not saying that I, that I have followed that always, but I'm just trying to help us to understand that we better not play too close with things. There's a minister that I know, it breaks my heart every time I think about it, his finances and the church finances, the line got real blurry. Real blurry. And I remember we got called in on it. We were asked if we would, if we would speak to the situation. We, we came in. There was a few of us, a team. One that had been a minister, a retired, he was a retired minister, myself. Another who had done treasury work. Um... There were three of us and uh, we talked to him about it and we said the the numbers are not right this is there's this, there's some problems here and he confessed out and said he was sorry and and he, he said he, he that he, he hadn't been as careful with getting receipts like he should and and uh, and he assured us that he'd done nothing wrong that he had not taken embezzled any funds that that uh, Yes, he had made some mistakes along the way. He wasn't real careful. He promised that he would fix the situation. About 15 months later, we had to go back and ask for his pulpit and his resignation. He'd started well after we'd talked to him. But the temptation just got too much. And when he needed extra funds, having access to the funds just made it real easy. He had a treasure that was, I think the nicest way I can say it was just didn't, couldn't say no to the pastor every time he said he needed a blank check and they just got one. And it broke my heart. In fact, I remember, as we told him, that I wept. As we had to ask him for his resignation, because he hadn't listened to the warning. And instead of things getting better, it got worse. The first time, I don't know that there was any sin. I don't know the first time that he ever did truly embezzle any money. The second time, I'm pretty certain he did. He got awful close to the line. And he got to the place where I was convinced, as we looked at the records, that he had. As we talked about this morning, we're an influence and people are looking and they're watching us. And even if there's nothing in our life that is sin, if we're playing close to the edge, people will doubt our profession. We've got to be so careful. We have to be so careful because all of us live in glass houses. Our neighbors know where we stand. The people that we shop at, as we go to the grocery store, it's amazing. It doesn't take long, and they get to know you. They know. And do we take take advantage, or are we people that are careful? And if we get too much money back, we're quick to return it. Are we close to the edge? You know, some people call us legalistic because we try not to get too close to the edge. I don't think legalism has anything to do with staying away from the edge. Legalism, as far as I understand it, is when we make up rules and force people to follow it that are not biblical. So that we can control people. It is not legalism to say, you know what, the edge is there. I'm just gonna stay a little bit back. Amen. I'm afraid of heights. I do not get in very high on ladders. I do not go on very steep of roofs or very high of roofs. I believe in the old terra firma. The more firma, the less terror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know some of you don't mind climbing all over the place and, and and that's fine. You go ahead and you do that. I'm thankful for those that, that don't mind heights. I don't like them and I avoid them because I don't want to fall and I have fallen. I've got memories and experience with falling. I have no desire to fall again. But there's a precipice A moral precipice that if we fall, the cost is much greater than our lives. The cost is much greater than a broken bone. The cost is our soul. And I don't want to be close. And if I look like a scaredy cat to you because I won't play close to the edge of that precipice, I'm willing to be a scaredy cat. I don't think it shows moral superiority. I don't think it shows that you are further up the road because you can go close to the edge and dance around near it. I, I thank God for people who, who roof houses and will get on those steep things. and it, it, Wonderful for people who do that. But I don't have to do it. And that means... I don't think there's any reason that any one of us needs to play around at the edge of the precipice of sin. I'm safe. I'm still not over the edge. Why play so close? Why play so close? Paul says he did it with the right motives. He did it with integrity, and he served it with love. He gives three illustrations of, of how much he loved the church. He says he was like a nurse with her children, with a mother, as a mother, mothering on those kids, and as a father who was instructing and helping them. You know, mothers and fathers are very different, aren't they? By their very nature, mothers are 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 nurturing, and if you've got a boo boo, they're they're there, and they're gonna put the band aid on it. And you remember the old stuff they used to put on that hurt? I don't remember. Was it the iodine or whatever? Man, that stuff was miserable. Yeah. These young kids, they don't know. Man, that stuff was awful. <laughs> Whoever invented that stuff, ay ay ay? You get that stuff on, and it would hurt. And you know what moms do? They'd blow on it, wouldn't they? Yes. Unless your mom was a nurse. <laughs> Poor kids who had a mom as a nurse. Blowing on it causes more germs on it. Well, you already put stuff to kill the germs. It don't matter. Blow already. <laughs> <laughs> But what are dads? They they pour that. St- they I mean they just dump that stuff on there and hey, blow on it. No, you just toughen up, walk it off, son. Walk it off. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be a man, don't you? Come on. <laughs> now that's a pro- a little bit of hyperbole. I hope. I hope it's a little bit. But isn't that our nature? So oftentimes the mothers are the ones the kid falls and I mean she's running right over there. She's scooping them up. She's, uh, and the kid hasn't even started crying yet but she's already at a tizzy and she's already halfway to the emergency room before dad catches, gets in the car and catches up with her and says, hey, why don't you ride instead of walk it?" I mean, that's just the way they are. I mean, just whew. I mean, they're, it's amazing. It's, they're, they're like lightning. They just swoop in, catch them. Guys, Dad's you know we're, we we wait to see if they're going to cry or not. Oh, he's not crying. He's all right. <laughs> now I know some some guys and mom switch, okay? I understand. But I think that Paul is giving us these illustrations to show that he was both nurturing and also instructive. Dad's our job is to get them to live right, to walk straight, sit up in their chairs. I mean, we're, we dads, we want the kid to grow up to be a citizen that we can be proud of. Our moms want that, but they want to do the coddling along the way, usually. You know what? It takes both. It takes both. and I think every mom should, should have, a, have a little bit of buck up in them, and I think every dad should have a little nurturing in them. And if your family that I if uh, I hope that there's at least one that is a little stronger in one or the other. Because I think we need both. And Paul recognized that. And he said, My love for you was such that I nurtured you, I, I fed you the gospel, I, I, I didn't use flattery, I didn't I didn't try to get you, I didn't try to leave stuff out that I thought would hurt your feelings. I was instructive like a dad, but I was nurturing like a mom. I, tr- I tried to encourage you, but I also told you to, to, to fight the good fight. It, it was both and. Love takes, takes nurturing and it takes instruction. It takes both. And I don't think it's good for for moms who say to the, their husbands to, you know, don't, don't rough play and don't, you know, you're, too, I mean, sometimes dads might need a little reminding. But it, we need to be careful that we don't keep dads from being dads and instructing and helping. But we also need to be careful we don't keep moms from being nurturing. And as God has called us to minister, we need to do Both. We need to be both nurturing and instructive. And here is my concern. Oftentimes, historically, within our movement, we have been more father than we have been mother. Buck up, straighten up, get your standards right, walk straight, don't sin, don't this, don't that. And we're very instructive. And sometimes people just need us to hold their hand a little bit as they walk across a very difficult path as they go from a lifestyle of sin to, to trying to figure out what it means to serve God. It's going to take both. And I have wonder if we've lost some people along the way because we failed to mother on some that needed mothering. Now, again, I think there's been those that have taken it and gone to the other extreme and they've gone to all this nurturing and babying and stuff and, and you've got people who are 90 years old and they're infant spiritually because nobody has told them this is wrong and this is right and taking some strong stands. I'm not suggesting we go to the extreme of either. Paul is giving us these illustrations to help us to understand that when we serve others, we need to be both nurturing and we also need to be instructive and, and helpful and, and saying... All right, son. All right, daughter. This way. But it's all done from a heart of love. I suppose sometimes instruction doesn't sound very loving. And you know, it doesn't have to be loving. We can can just be harsh. But if we are loving as we are giving instruction... It helps, uh, It helps, especially when you're the one receiving the instruction and it's in love. It's so much easier to receive it, isn't it? What, I mean, if, if you had something in your life that, that, was, that was a concern, who am I going to pick? I'll pick on Dean. I haven't picked on him this week. <laughs> <laughs> Dean had something in his life, and I say, Dean, this is in your life. I don't know how you can be serving God for as long as you are and still have this in your life. You got to buck up, buddy wow. (laughs) But if I'd say, Dean, I'm I'm concerned about this area in your life. This this just doesn't match with scripture. I'm concerned about it. I'm I'm praying for you. Can I help you in this? Can can I help you in this journey? There's a very different response. One is, telling him like it is, and the other one's still telling him like it is, but it's letting him know that I love him and I care about him and I want to see him make it. Both are instruction. Both are saying the same thing, but one lets him know that I'm rooting him on while at the same time calling him to something higher, while the other one's driving him. You know, I, if, if I need to grow in some areas, I hope someone instructs me in a loving way. You know, I, I have a long ways to go. I don't, God doesn't call people to be pastors because they're perfect already. If that was the case, we'd have a lot more empty pulpits than we already do. I've got a long ways to go, and I thank God. He's really, I feel like He has really helped me in the year that we've been here. I feel like God has really helped me to grow in some areas that, that I had been wanting to grow in it's for some time. I feel like God has really helped me. In this last year. And I thank God for that. But I have a long ways to go. And I had a friend just recently say. Brother. And what he said was right. It's, an, it's another area that I need to grow in. It's, another, it's not sin. But it's an area in my life that I know that, that I need to work on. And I need to grow in. And I and I've got room for improvement. Biggest room we have is the room for improvement, isn't it? I think Brother Gary said that to me one time. It isn't that we're perfect. None of us are. But if I need instruction, I hope it's loving. Because you know what? I'm more likely to listen to it when it is. And when it's not, I'm less likely to listen to it. I'm less likely to, to work to grow in that area. Because you know what? Love motivates. Love motivates. The theme of First and Second Thessalonians really is be ready. As I think about this, this passage in, second, in the second chapter of 1 the Thessalonians, I'm reminded that if we are going to be able to serve God the way that we need to be in order to be ready, we're going to have to make sure that we serve with the right motives, that we serve with integrity, and that we serve with love. Because if we let any of those areas leak out, we won't be ready. And those that God has called us to serve might not be ready. God has, folks, I, I hope, I don't, I don't want you to leave here feeling like I've put guilt on you and, 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 and be, it, that if you don't straighten up the, that people miss it. God's grace is sufficient. All of us need to grow, but let us do so. Let us, let us encourage each other in the journey together and not try to do it all in our own. And to not try to do it in a way that that gets us something. That benefits us. Oh, that we would serve one another. You know, when Judas went out to betray Jesus, he gathered the soldiers. And as he gave Jesus a kiss, he did all that with clean feet. For at the upper room, Jesus had knelt and one by one, each of the disciples, Jesus washed their feet. And if God, Jesus as God, can serve the one who is going to, in just a few moments, walk out of that door and go and betray him so that he would die, how much more does God call us to follow after his example and serve others that aren't seeking our death, I, at least I don't think so, but that we would serve them with the same passion, the same love, and the same integrity, and the same moral uh, uh, motive that Jesus had as he washed the feet of Judas. He sets a great example for us. Oh, well, that the Lord would help us to be able to follow in it. Let's stand together. Amen. Amen. Alex would you dismiss us in prayer?